Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Beach is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right, what's going on? Welcome to Cannell and Bell hanging out here in South Florida. We are both hitting the road this afternoon, headed yeah. to Nashville. Yeah. We're going to be at the Doghouse Saloon. Make sure you come by. I had one of our uh, listeners hit us up on Twitter and said, hey, you guys going to be there? You mind taking a picture? I was like, oh, I'm on out. Okay. Doghouse Saloon, say hello in Nashville, live at 9 a.m. Both days, live at 9 a.m. local, 10 a.m. Eastern. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it'll be a ton of fun. We're both headed out. Should be a lot of fun. Drafts coming up. Uh ton of stuff to get to. Today, we got Dame Lillard. was insane. 37 game winning shot last night, 37 foot uh, shot last night. The NCAA still just, there's some things they do that you just can't defend and it's just, I don't understand it. We'll yeah, get to that. Right, boss. The Chiefs are all in on a Super Bowl run, clearly making a big trade. And are we doing a shoe showdown today? Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, Coca sent me a great text. I, I used to live by this motto. I had forgotten about it and he, he refreshed it for me the other day. He said, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. Right. So you're always just, well, I'm just, I'm, ru- I'm coming in here ready to go regardless. All right. I went a little off the grid. So we'll get to All that right. to finish the show as we always do on Wednesdays. We'll do a little shoe showdown. Um, our boy, our boy Coca, Janita, they're all laughing at my look today. Yeah, I, I mean, what, like, what's wrong with my look? Uh, it, was, it was, it was an appreciation. It, was, it threw me back. Your denim on denim. People can't see the bottom half of you, but right, but it's not denim matching denim. denim. It's not matching denim. Oh no, no, see here, I'll, I'll just yeah, go ahead, go ahead, yeah, give, yeah, yeah. I felt like you wanted to do that, so I set you up for that. Yep. Um, I, I appreciate it. And when when they see the show, when they see the shoes at the showdown, yeah, they'll they'll it'll all come it together. All comes together, together right there. Yeah, it's calling me uh, Danny Bentley after Dirk's Bentley. Danny, Danny I think I'm in the mood. I'm like in the Nashville vibe since we're yeah, going. Yeah, you got a little flow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get to it because uh, Dame Willard, we just talked about him, was insane Oof. last night. Throughout the night, uh, they actually close out the Thunder on his epic buzzer beater, 37 foot shot um, to tap to tap off an incredible game in itself, where he. Had 50, dropped a 50 burger on him. Uh, and those last three points might have been the most impressive as time expired. You see him dribbling, taking the last uh, shot with Paul George in his mm. face. Uh, just buried the dagger on him. This is as good as it gets. Now, there's a bunch of different angles to talk about here, but let's start it off because Paul George had some interesting comments on the shot itself. Do we have the actually sound of Paul George, Coca? All right. I'll give you a couple more seconds to get that kind of fired up. But That's the shot itself was just stupid. Like the range the guys are shooting from now, where they expect to make it. We would have never. That, that was never even a thought. Yeah. Like Gilbert Arena started pulling from a little deeper when we played. But for the most part, you were around the three-point line or within a foot or two proximity to the three-point line. You were four feet past, uh, four feet across half court or four steps. I mean, that's – as a defender – I don't know how much more Paul George can do. I, I could sit here and, and, and Wednesday morning quarterback it or third, whatever, whatever today is. What <laughs> Wednesday. Um, and climb up in, in a little closer and be under his feet just a little bit more, but he's so quick and he's so good off the bounce that when you do that, he's blowing by you. So you, you know, you got him pinned up against the sideline and kind of half court. It's a lonely feeling, but you really don't expect the guy to pull. And even if he does with your length, you can affect it, which he did. I mean, that's just an incredible shot. I would say a lot of things if I was Paul George. I don't know if I would have said what he did. Here's what he said after right. the game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a bad shot. Um care what anybody says. That's a bad shot. Uh, but, hey, he made it. That story won't be told. That it was a bad shot. Um, live with that. 
I was just waving goodbye to him. That's Dame Lillard. I think uh, after game three, you know, they Dennis Schroeder was out there pointing to his wrist. They was out there doing all these celebrations and doing all this stuff, and we kept our composure. And um, after one win, that was what they decided to do. And we was just like, okay, what we want to do is win four games. And then when, those, when we win those four games, it's not going to be nothing to talk about. So that's what that was. Mm, you want to talk smack, that's what you got to do is to shut them up. Uh, so Jared Cowley put out a tweet and it said, uh, on Dame Lillard's long game winning three pointer, Paul George said, and it has this quote about it's a bad shot. Dame Lillard just responded, LOL. Like that, Oklahoma City's doing a lot of talking for a team that's being sent home packing. Absolutely. I think that Dame Lillard's press conference there or that clip that we just had, um, it's kind of a microcosm of the way I saw that whole series. Portland looked like the more mature, more focused team. Oklahoma City was doing a lot of celebrating after 7-0 runs in the first quarter or, you know, 6-3 runs in the second quarter and Portland had to call a timeout. You've done nothing. You haven't even won the game, let alone won the series. And so I did feel like Portland was more locked in. They felt like they had more to prove. And they might have bigger goals, if you will, than than Oklahoma City. At least looked like that when you were watching the way the series was played out. But Paul George... Is right and he's wrong. It was a fantastic shot. It was a low percentage play, but it was a fantastic shot. If you can understand the the difference between the two, while you know Damian Lillard has the ball with a tie ball game. Some people will say, "Hey, he wants to get get him to the bucket or try to get to the free throw line." Not a lot of refs are going to make a call for you or go into the bucket against one of the best defenders in the league if you're Damian Lillard. Right. This isn't now about whether you have to have to win the game or not necessarily because it's tied. So you just got to make sure that they don't get the ball back with enough time. Worst case scenario, we're going into overtime. So as an offensive player, you pick your favorite shot. Damian Lillard is, uh, the stats were like 8 for 12 from a 30-some feet or more this year. He likes that shot. So if that's the shot you want to shoot to make sure we get the last shot, uh, I'm okay with that. Now, there are there may be higher percentage shots. But he's a tough shot maker over and over again. Let me ask something. Just to play devil's advocate here and try to see from where Paul George is, com- Paul George is coming from. If he misses that, is Terry Stotts, the head coach of the Portland Trailblazers, is he saying no. to Dame Lillard, what were you doing? Like, that was no, because look. Damian Lillard, you have you have earned that, right? You're ride or die with Damian Lillard if you're Terry Stotts. In the back of Terry Stotts' mind, he might be like, bro, we had a lot of time. Why didn't we get downhill and try to – but – those guys are so good. He had 50. You're living and dying with what he decides to do at that moment. Now, again, the difference becomes if you're down one and he shoots that shot versus a tie ball game, and the worst-case scenario after that is overtime. Let me ask you about Damian Lillard because I think he's probably one of the most underrated players in the NBA. And my question for you is why and what he plays more in does Portland. he have to do? Is that what about Russell Westbrook plays in Oklahoma he, he play, City? He, like. You know? He plays in Portland, and he hasn't had – Oklahoma City had James Harden. When they went to um, the finals, right. Kevin Durant and Westbrook, and they were the darlings. They every – you know, you can play in a sleepy market like that being on ESPN all the time, mm-hmm. and you're going to have the type of cred and pub and, and, and whatever. And um, they just don't get those games all the time out in Portland. You couple that with the, the, their recent failures in, in playoff situations. Last year, you know, Drew Holiday ate him up. He did. I mean, he just didn't perform on the biggest stage. And so sometimes, you know, and he said it, I heard one of his clips about sometimes you just got to, it's your turn to go through some stuff. And if you could stick together uh, and, and stay focused and stay committed, you come out on the other end better. And I think it took a couple failures 
in in the big in the on the big stage for for Damian Lillard to figure out you know what the recipe was for him and his for his team to have success and with those successes you, you'll start to see people open their eyes. I, I my eyes were open. I was I look. I said coming in, I'm going with Oklahoma City Thunder because they had the two better players. Yeah. I, I, my bad. That that cat is real. And C.J. McCollum didn't play great last night, but he was real when they needed him down the stretch with some huge timely buckets. They they just have more shot makers, and so I imagine we're going to go here at some point. That Oklahoma City team, you just watch them. They just don't have enough guys that make shots. Portland had a bunch of dudes that made shots, big shots, uh, timely shots. They had a bunch of guys step up and do their job. And uh, Damian Lillard, none, none, none better than Damian Before we put a bow on Damian Lillard, let me ask him, because you always use the term a one player, right? That's what you can decide. A one player is a guy you build the franchise around who can carry you to the playoffs. Is he a one? Oh, Has what? he always been a one, or has yeah. this series changed your mind? No, I think he's always been a one. Now, a, 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 a one would be you can win a championship with him doing what he does. So some of that becomes putting the right pieces around that that number one talent to achieve that goal. But in terms of guys, and there is not a better shot-making one-on-one guy in the NBA at that size other than maybe Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie's one of the best to ever, ever, ever do it at that size and finish. And Dame Lillard is quickly um, approaching that that type of narrative about himself. All right, so he's on the rise. People are starting to take notice of him. Finally, give him the credit that do that's that he is due. And then you got Russell Westbrook, who feels to me like he's all of a sudden catching a ton of heat, but it's kind of deserved when you look at the results in the playoffs. When this is the third year in a row, they've been bounced in the first round. And he has not shot the ball well in these situations where he's starting to get more and more criticism. What does this What does this mean for Russell Westbrook? It means it's time to go back to the drawing board as a player. Um, you have to figure out what has happened to your ability to, to shoot the ball. And I don't mean just from three. He was never a great three-point shooter. But that hard stop pull up from, from the elbow used yeah. to be water. There was a point where that became an unstoppable weapon when I was guarding him. Because first when he came in, it was he can only get to the rim. So you played him for that. And then he developed this ability to stop on a dime, go straight up in the air, and cash that out. He's not making that. His free throws dipped from like 80-some percent to 60-some percent this year. There's something going on with him uh, in terms of his ability to shoot the ball. He's got to go back to the drawing board with that. And let's be frank, he went to the rim last night at times. I thought he still settled for a few too many jump shots. It's, it's, this is the fine line but with, with players. You get hot. And he got, he, they caught fire there for a minute in the fourth quarter, Oklahoma City. And you shoot three too many jump shots in the midst of trying to figure out whether you're still hot or not. And that was just enough to let Oklahoma, I mean, uh, Portland back in the game. But he did go to the rack and he wasn't finishing. And so, you know, if, if you are the dude, if you're the star and you want to be treated like that and you want to be mentioned in the same breath with the best players in the NBA, when you get those opportunities and you're going to the rack and you're doing what you want to do, you got to finish. Anybody can throw a ball up at the rim. Right. You got to finish. Yep. That's, that's why you're you. He was two of seven from the field in the fourth quarter on that one. So you're saying go back to the drawing board. What if you're Sam Presti oh, running this organization? Like, what can you do though? Because you know you bring in Paul George, make a trade for him, who's been productive. Sure. So you've got well, two players, but it feels like they're missing another piece. Joey's point. Is, Joey, uh, one of our buddy who works here. Yeah. So, uh, off the air was at what point do we start talking about the Paul George trade as a failure? 
they they lost in the first round before they got Paul George. Paul George had a MVP type season this year, um, but they've lost in the first round every year since he's been there. So you haven't really gained anything. And now you're in this you're in this luxury tax hell where you've got you know people tied up. What a you lot know? of big salaries and not Westbrook production. four one sixty one sixty nine. Paul George three hundred and six. Even Adams two fifty three. Dennis Schroeder. Uh, you, you just got a lot of money wrapped up. And so to your question about Sam Presti, I imagine the only real thing you can do right now is look to make a move from the coaching perspective mm-hmm. because that's where the flexibility is. I think Billy Donovan has one year on the deal. He's been a part of the problem. I'm not I'm not putting it all on Billy Donovan. I don't think it's all his fault, but he's been a part of the problem, certainly. Um, and I don't know what you're going to be able to do with these contracts. I, Steven Adams, I said this two days ago. They did it to him again last night. They put him in every single ball screen. Portland's answer in, to, to the situation was instead of taking the guard and forcing him to the screen and having Steven Adams drop back into space, the guard gets over and forces their guard into a tough mid-range shot. That didn't bear any fruit. So they switched it. They went to ice in the pick and roll, which is now the defensive guard is going to push the ball handler away from the screen. Steven Adams is going to drop back into that space. Under no circumstances can he be out in space, so he's always dropping back into the lane, and they tore him up with that too. So a liability defensively uh, when you catch a matchup like Portland, who, who's got bigs that can play out in space and stuff like that. So you, you know, but he's making twenty two million dollars or twenty twenty six million dollars a year. I don't know that there's anyone out there that, that wants that contract. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with them and Billy Donovan if they did make a change. It expected to happen probably sooner rather than later with the season just ending right. and them having another early exit from the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that. Um, the Sixers finish off the Nets, and I've said it all season long. I think the Sixers absolutely punked the Nets. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Nets. I thought they had no response from any of the trash talk that the Sixers brought to the table when Joel, Joel Embiid's laughing at them in the press conference. Yeah. I thought they tried to bow up, but it just seemed like uh, somebody trying to be tough, and it's like fake tough. Sure. Uh, and Jared Dudley's trying to do that. It just, for me, you saw them totally outclassed, outman. It was a team I thought were going to be better in this series. They had a nice end of the season. I thought they overperformed most of it, but I just thought they were a little bit soft when it mattered. Yeah, I thought that they were playing with house money this year. Mm-hmm. You know, just... No one really gave them a shot to be in the playoffs. The fact that they were there, they were competitive in, in some of the games that they don't have their, their players are, are, are nice pieces, but none of them are as good as Philly's fourth best player or third best player. Right. So you're, you're not going to win a series like that. So to some degree, it's a flawed roster. It's really early in the process for, for Sean Marks and Trajan Langdon there. They've done a, a fantastic job so far. I think what you have to watch and what you got to hope for if you're Brooklyn is they continue to make these strides. They continue to add pieces, attract one of those major free agents uh, that may want to play in, in the New York market. Uh, and, and then you can start to, to, to hope that you can beat a Philly type of team. But while, while D'Angelo Russell is a really good player and so is Karis Levert and, and Spencer Dinwiddie, D'Angelo's an all-star, but he's not a star star yet. You, you need you need star stars if you're going to play a team with Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler, uh, Tobias Harris, JJ Redick. They they were o- they were over uh, they were overmatched. All right, the Sixers pretty cocky for a young team, and they're not yeah. afraid to tell you as much. Uh, you know, it's a really impressive roster. Joel Embiid after said, "We think we can win it all." Um, can they? Can they contend with Toronto, on paper, Milwaukee, the uh, the higher seeds? On paper, they can win it all. I think that. What do they have to do? Like, would like first of all, I think Joel Embiid has to be healthy for an entire series. Of course, if he's taking games off, that helps. Um, they've got to be making shots. Sometimes th- those shots disappear. Um, 
they need support from the Mike Scotts of the world and, and those guys coming off the bench, the James Ennises who've played well, uh, Boban Marjanovic. They have those, those guys have to play well. And, <clears throat> you know, chemistry is an issue when that whole team is healthy. Again, there are a lot of mouths to feed with that. There has to be a clear understanding of whose, whose job it is to close and whose job it is, you know, to sacrifice a part of their game for someone else. I worry about Joel Embiid and his focus. I do. I, 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 you know, I know he loves the social media. He's a media darling. And maybe this is just, again, the old curmudgeon of a player. I, I worry about his focus. I think he spends too much time trying to be cute with the media and trying to be funny and trying to do stuff like that. And I, I, you have to be able to, to block out all of the noise and be 100% invested on the task at hand, which is chasing a championship. And I, I didn't get one, uh, but I watched teams just separate everything that happened from the regular season and the way we used to act to a laser focus for the playoffs. And we had good playoff success with it. We fell short. But you don't get to live both both lives. You don't get to be ah, blah, 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 happy-go-lucky talking all the trash up there laughing and and, and, and making light of everything and then flip a switch and be a, a killer on the court. Sometimes you got to let some of that go to be able to chase. And I worry about that with him. So I do too. I think he has to grow up. And I think what happens a lot of times in professional sports across the board is when you get that kind of cute attitude, you think you know it all, you get a little overconfident, you get humble really humbled. fast. Yeah, agreed. And a lot of times it's when you're going to face a killer. I don't think the Nets had a killer on their squad. I think Toronto, who are they playing in the next round, has several of them. Um, so in this matchup, Toronto just took care of their business. Um, they've walked their way through, uh, Orlando, another one that was a pretty easy, you know, first round matchup for yeah. them. Uh, after, you know, losing game one, they come back and pretty much storm back. Kawhi is kind of flexing his, you know, muscles, mm-hmm. so to speak, yep. uh, throughout this series. This one, as these two face each other, like Kawhi all of a sudden, who's, he's a quiet personality. Maybe it's similar to Damian Lillard. He seems like he's flown under the radar, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, this guy's one of the best players in the entire NBA. And now I just I like this team moving forward. If you could reseed the East, I think I might put Toronto number one. Is that taking a step too far? Maybe, but I, I wouldn't. I mean, we'd be splitting hairs with them and, and um, Milwaukee. Milwaukee. I think they're I think they're very, very good. I think a lot of it hinges on whether Kyle Lowry is Kyle Lowry or Kyle Lowry becomes old playoff Kyle Lowry. That gives them another another weapon out there. Kawhi Leonard is a machine. And in a lot of senses of the word, he's just a machine. He's, he's unflappable. He just does what he does. There's no emotion. He's going to give you relatively similar production. You know, he'll shoot marginally better from night to night or marginally worse. But you're going to get what you get out of Kawhi. Lockdown defender, guy that you can give the ball to and get ISO buckets. That's what he does. Uh, Pascal Siakam is a real is a real uh good story for Toronto because it gives them another guy in a series like the Sixers series that is in the com- he's as good as is as Ben Simmons right now. He is. He scores it better than Ben Simmons. He is a playmaker. Give him the ball, get you buckets, can be out in transition, long rangey defender. So it, it allows you to now start stacking up that same type of talent that you're talking about. Kyle Lowry when he's good, perennial all-star. Mm-hmm. Mark Gasol, not nearly the player that he was, but if you want any type of center to be out there guarding Joel, it's one with a body, one that's played those minutes. He's been an all-defensive team a few times. So there are pieces in place to counter what Philly does, and they're playing better basketball right now, in my opinion, than Philly is. So 
know, I, I think that they'll ultimately beat Philly. If they could get to Philly and Milwaukee, because that's a whole other conversation with Milwaukee and Boston, yep. that would be fantastic. All right, it's going to be fun. NBA uh, has continued to move on. We're moving into the second round where I think it's going to be interesting. The first round was kind of a dud because mm-hmm. we got the teams with the talent separation was pretty much there. Should get interesting, though, and we'll have you uh, covered right here on Canel and Bell. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell. So the NFL, we got the draft tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. Watch it right here on CBS Sports HQ uh, throughout the weekend. We'll have every pick covered right here on CBS Sports HQ. Um, a lot of stuff's going to ha- unfold. And I, this is my like favorite part because I'm tired of the mock drafts. Yep. I'm tired of giving my top five quarterbacks. Shout out to Bomber <laughs> who's got me doing that today. Uh, I can't wait to actually see some action, to see who's going to take who. This is when you don't believe anything, but they're also, this is when trades take place, mm-hmm. you know, and you're starting to see some of that action start to, to heat up a little bit. And it's happened yesterday when you had the news that the Chiefs traded, uh, to the Seahawks. They, uh, made the move with the Seahawks to acquire Frank Clark and they paid him as well. So Frank Clark goes to the Chiefs. They also agree on a five year, $105.5 million dollar deal with $63.5 million in guaranteed money. He was a former second-round pick for the Seahawks in 2015. Now he's the highest-paid player on the Chiefs. Um, he's one of seven players with an active streak of three-plus consecutive seasons with nine or more sacks. So you're getting guaranteed production pretty much. Um, and it's important for the Chiefs, too, as they're transitioning from a 3-4 to a 4-3 base defense under a new defense coordinator, Steve Spack Newello. And he's, he's the ideal defensive end for a 4-3 defense. So I love this from the standpoint of the Chiefs. And I think they're taking a page out of the Rams playbook, mm-hmm. and it worked for the Rams last year when they, you know, made a lot of moves. They paid a lot of money, and they just basically went all in because chips in. they went all in because they had Jared Goff, rookie, you know, younger quarterback, right. on his rookie deal. Now they've got Patrick Mahomes tearing up the league on his rookie deal. They don't have to spend that much money on their quarterback, so they can spread it around the roster. And the biggest knock last year on the Chiefs, we said it a million times, was, man, can they overcome that defense? And uh, it came back to bite them when they could not get off the field against the Patriots in overtime. Couldn't even get Patrick Mahomes a chance with the ball. And this is the types of move that they're making, which I love. They already signed uh, Tyron Matthew with the safety. Sure. They're making these moves specifically to bolster a defense, which was an absolute sieve last year. Like teams were just running right, passing all over them. Yeah, I mean, you're assuming that that offense is going to come back and be what it was last year. Patrick Mahomes probably even better, you would hope, after learning a little bit. Yeah. Um and and so yeah, your your needs are on the defensive side of the ball, and so you know this is this is you know I ask this question, I'll ask it to you again. Why do quarterbacks get? And I understand they get, they get paid these exorbitant contracts, right? And now you can't build around them. When teams have had so much success with the young quarterback model, even Russell Wilson, the team that just paid him, their best years were when he was on the rookie deal and they were able to put all this defensive talent on the other side of the ball because they had the extra money to spend. Why? Do, I mean, I guess it's just because it's hard to find that young quarterback that you can do that with. But 
I'm not mad at, at, at Kansas City either. This is the recipe that I like rather than the other way around. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and there's also this trend which has taken place when if you do pay your quarterback, all of a sudden you start realizing how strapped for cash you are. Uh, you know, look at the Ravens when right. Joe Flacco signed, Matt Ryan when he got his new deal and he had an MVP season and he's still been pretty good. But they're realizing, oh man, we can't spend on the defensive side of the ball, or we can't give them enough weapons to work with. You know, they've been trying to figure out Julio Jones gave him a little bit of a, you know, rework uh, last year. They're trying to give him when, more money. When do they reds then? When do they reset the market for quarterbacks? Because I, well, it already is happening live before our eyes. As you know, in the last two years, it used to be the highest paid quarterback was twenty five million. I think that was three years ago. I forget, maybe it was Matthew Stafford. I think he was the guy that kind of set that new bar. And then you had this rash of guys like Matt Ryan. Um, then you see Aaron Rodgers. Then you see Russell Wilson. And it's been bumped up all the way up to $35 million per year. So, And that's in only the span. You've seen a $10 million increase in just a span of three years. And the salary cap is growing too. But there's just this market has been set. And the bar keeps rising, which, again, makes it a lot tougher for you to spend no, out on other positions. Correct. But I guess my question would be, like, when does, when does one of these capologist right. gurus say, okay, a quarterback – Right now, we've got quarterbacks that represent, let's use 20% of our cap. Yep. Right? That doesn't allow us to go out. The 80% left doesn't allow us to fill all of our needs. We, as as, as a front office, have to only value the quarterback position at 13% of the cap. The, like, dropping their pay to say, and I'm not, I'm, I'm no, not hating bring, on anyone. No, but, but you're bringing up a point that has been discussed, uh, and this is a trend that, you know, I saw somebody say Baker Mayfield might be the first quarterback that gets an extension or a new contract as a percentage of the salary cap. Because if you're a team and if you're trying to do it from their angle and to try to set an even playing field, that's what you would try to do. So that the bar is set not at 35 million, that it's at, at X a percentage. Amount, yeah, the percentage because there. Because now like the recipe says now, I mean, you've got, exactly. you know what that can get you in other places across the board and make you a viable team where you're not cash strapped. Absolutely. And if you look at this from some of the quarterback standpoint, and I, you know, it's easy to sit here in a chair and not being the guy in the position, but I just wonder if some of these guys would ever say, you know what? I don't need the 35 mil. Pay me 25 mil and spend that other 10 and give me some weapons and yeah. help me have more success and help us be a winner, which is what Tom Brady has done. That's why right. the Patriots are part of this huge dynasty is because Brady has always given them a discount and said, you know what? I'm good. He still made a boatload of money, but he's not even, I think, I don't know what he is as far as ranked as where he's paid on the quarterback scale, but it's not very high. So now, granted, he's got, you know, Giselle, and there's a lot of speculation that maybe there's a long-term under-the-table handshake deal between right, him and Robert right, Kraft. Right, right, you know, hey, maybe right. you get a part of the team, right. bring you in. All those types of things could be happening behind the scenes. But I just wonder at some point if there's a quarterback that says, I don't need to break the bank. I want to have some That's what it's going to take. The answer to that question is it takes two sides to make Absolutely. it happen, right? The team to, to stand firm and a player to realize and understand that it might be worth it in the end to have more success over a longer period of time and take less up front to, to, to maybe achieve that with the team. And now we're talking about the Seahawks who have had a rough, you know, the team they worked this deal for. So they move on from Frank Clark and in the process, they're actually acquiring a lot of draft picks. So they're kind of flipping it a little bit saying, all right, we're going to pay our quarterback. Right. And we're going to, the approach I would think for them is to be, let's try to build our defense, another Legion of Boom, where we build from within, we build through the draft and, you know, Maybe that's the new formula that, that that people are going to start looking for is, all right, we're going to have to pay our quarterback if we have a good one, and let's go ahead and start drafting for a young defense. Which That would be the direction I would try to move in. The quarterback is a position, it's just too risky for me. When you look, right. look at 
Like, so some of these teams, for instance, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tennessee Titans, they drafted one and two, Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. They had the young quarterback. You know, they had the rookie deal. They weren't paying them big money. But for whatever reason, they couldn't put the pieces around them. Yeah, you got to get the They've rest of it right. they kind of, you know, floundering a little bit, trying to take that next step. And so their teams that have spent now they're going to have to pay their quarterbacks and they haven't had that run. Yeah. You know, so I guess I guess the thing I like is if you recognize that you have a quarterback like the Rams did and like the Chiefs did, go aggressive. Go all in and say we have a window before we have to pay them where we're going to go all in and try to build around them. Well, uh, yeah, and I guess to the original point, like this was a good deal for the Chiefs cuz you're all in and the only real play for the Seahawks and then it becomes a good deal for them too because they can't play Frank Clark and they got all this money invested in Russ now is to go out and find all these draft picks and try to build it. So it's actually, it's a win, it's a win-win trade. It'll be interesting to see because they're just pull, they're polar opposite yes. approaches to trying to uh, attack a Super Bowl championship. It'll be interesting to see which one of them gets closer this it, year. It absolutely will. So we're seeing some guys get paid. We just, uh, earlier in the show when we came on, we were talking about Ben Roethlisberger getting an extension. Somebody else wants to get paid, but I think there's a, a deeper motive behind it. So you got Robbie Gold, mm-hmm. former kicker with the Chicago Bears, has been on the 49ers. They have placed the franchise tag, I believe, on him, right? That's what really? happened. Um, Coca, I think that's what happened. So they put the franchise tag on him. He did not report to camp, and there was a lot of speculation. What does he mean? A lot of people, he's even made it public that he wants to go back to Chicago. His family never moved with him where he had a long career as the Chicago Bears kicker. We know about the care, uh, the, the Bears problems with, uh, oh, Cody, Cody Parker. Yeah. And so he's like thinking, man, I got the perfect match. I could go back to Chicago. So now he says, I don't want a long-term deal. I want out. And this is going to be interesting because you're seeing a kicker actually try to pull a power move on the 49ers. How you feel about that? Um, Just from a kicker perspective, pulling a power move. You don't been pretty vocal. How about- I feel about the kickers in general is they have no place to be pulling power moves. But if you can, if you got it, go ahead and do it. But I'm sure the 49ers are like, well, hold on a second. You're our kicker. You're supposed to be – Ultimately, it doesn't matter if he's there all offseason. Like you talk about kicker, he can train wherever he wants. But I did think it was interesting. Um, Robbie Gold last week, I noticed this. He put out a a tweet of him kicking in slow motion. It was just a ball, and it was on a stand. And he said, "Kick it easy when it's breezy." And all the people in his comment section said, "Breezy, the windy city, going back to Chicago." Like this is a sign, subliminal of him uh. floating that message that he wants to be in Chicago. I think he might get his way out. Really? Yeah. Well, as players, you're, you're only you're at, there are very few times where you have leverage, right? So when you have it, use it. Yeah. Um. So I, I'm cool with that. I mean, I I too. Why not? Feel the kicker pain. I've I've told you about my stories with youth football <laughs> yes. and the kickers and the treatment of kickers. So yes, you're okay uh, with I, it. I, I, like, but if, as a player, if you got the leverage, use it. Um. But I don't know that there's anything subliminal there. I mean, what do they tell you when it's windy? On the, oh, yeah, yeah. Swing easy if it's breezy. Right, I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> I thought there was a message there. All right. So if you're listening to us right now and you're a fan of Canel and Bell, guess what? You should go check us out in Nashville because the NFL draft is going to be there. And so are we at the Off the Bench podcast and CBS Sports HQ. Off the Bench will kick off coverage in Nashville at 10 a.m. Eastern, Thursday and Friday morning, getting fans caught up on all the latest draft storylines and news. Besides me, we'll have our full NFL crew providing analysis, grades, and fantasy implications for every pick over all seven rounds. we got Pete Prisco, Brady Quinn, Jason Lockenfora, Ryan Wilson, Brian McFadden, Jamie Eisenberg, and more. All the guys you know and love and one Raja Bell. I saw you over there being upset about that. If you are going to be in Nashville, make sure you stop by the Doghouse Saloon. We'll be broadcasting live Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. If you can't catch us in person, you can always watch CBS Sports HQ by downloading the CBS Sports app on your phone 
Fire TV, Roku, or Apple TV. It's always on and always free. All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell, hanging out to a little NHL. And it, dude, NBA playoffs are on. First round was a dud. We got some fun series in, in, yeah. in NHL in the first round. We've had a lot of Game 7s, a couple of them recently. So we got to get our boy Pete Blackburn to help us out to break it all down. I understand that you, Raja, would like the floor. Pete, what in the H-E double hockey sticks, man? <laughs> Your first pit, you came on like, I don't bet. You gave me the lightning, I bet. Alright? Then I lost the bet. I doubled down on your second pick. The Knights, they blow the three, the three goal lead in the third period. Sharks to the Sharks. Uh, San Jose completes the comeback. I'm reading off my sheet here. But what is going on, bro? Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I apologize. You know what? I'm not, I'm not going to apologize for the Lightning because the Lightning blew it for everybody. That was the best team in the league all year long. They choked it away. I'll be a little bit, a bit, uh, sorry for the Golden Knights because they, they choked away a 3-1 series lead. And then they blew it in Game 7, so uh, obviously didn't get much help from the referees. But, uh, yeah, I guess I apologize. I'm sorry. How does that rank as far as, like, end-of-game scenarios where they're up 3 nothing late third period and you get those consecutive goals to send it to overtime? Like, how crazy of a, a game is that? Well, I mean, after the game, Jonathan Marcheseau, one of the Vegas forwards, basically compared it to the ending of uh, of the NFC Championship this year. I don't know if it's it's that egregious, but that that penalty that was called the the major penalty that that's a common cross check that that usually doesn't even get a minor in that situation. So they they called it based purely on the results, which was the injury from the awkward fall. And to give it a give it a major there, it, it created a whole swing, and obviously uh, Vegas had a chance to to limit the damage and you know prevent four power play goals from being scored on them. But you know they were dominating the game up to that point. It was three nothing with ten minutes left in the third period. That game was pretty much over. So that's as big a call as I've seen in a long, long time. Yeah, it's pretty insane. That period from nine fifteen Pacific, twelve fifteen Eastern to thirty six you know, twelve thirty six Eastern to see that type of flip in a game is just insane. All right, it's hey, it doesn't matter if you miss on all these picks because you got the brand new fat contract, like locked in, guaranteed money. So you can do whatever you want. So we're gonna give you your third chance after missing the lightning, missing the knights, who are you putting the Blackburn hex on? <laughs> well, Don't do it. Oh man. Don't do it. Oh, I know man. what you're gonna say. Don't do it. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna. Put, I'm gonna put it on the Bruins. I'm gonna ah. put it on the Bruins. Like my my own Bruins, and that's how you know. How I guarantee you that I'm confident in this pick because it's my team. So I'm gonna go with the Bruins. I think that their road in the Eastern Conference bracket is pretty wide open now. Uh, you know, no disrespect to the Columbus Blue Jackets, who obviously just upset the best team in the league in four games, but nobody's gonna be surprised about the Columbus Blue Jackets anymore. Plus. They've had a week off, maybe more than a week at this point. I'm not sure, but uh, you know they're, they're going to be rusty coming back. And uh, I, I like the Bruins. They just got through the toughest opponent. Um, that's the toughest matchup that I think they'll have on that side of the bracket. And they just they just got through it. So uh, I like the Bruins. All right. So Pete, before we came on, Danny was kind of teasing you about a, a thing you have with Canada. Fill me in. I don't know. I was waiting. Like, let me know what's going on with Canada. Well, Canada is very, very sensitive about hockey, and mm-hmm. if you try to take that away from them, it really, really gets under their skin, and they love taking the bait. So on Twitter, every time there's a, there's like a, an international tournament and Canada loses, or, uh, or Canada gets knocked out of the Stanley Cup playoffs, I like to have a little fun and get under their skin, and there is still, I've been doing this for like three years at this point, 
And somehow there are still hundreds of people every time that take the bait and get completely upset and poop their pants over it. And so uh, I had to take advantage of that last night because uh, the Maple Leafs were the last Canadian team left in the uh, in the Stanley Cup bracket, and now they're out. You know what we'll have to do? We'll have to do a podcast-only special with Pete where we can trade stories about either college football fans, Canadian hockey fans, yeah. bat flip, like pro bat flip <laughs> fans. We got to do a whole gamut and just give stories about the, the people that are pissed off on uh, on Twitter, on social media, about their various uh, uh, fan bases, uh, about their teams. Uh, Hurricanes, Caps, Game 7 tonight. What are the chances that the uh, Caps get uh, knocked out after being champs last year? I think there's a there's a good chance you look at what Carolina has done in this series and they've been uh the better team for a good portion of it. Obviously the every game has gone to the home team and I think that's been a big advantage and the Caps are at home. Um but you know if you're looking at it as a whole, Carolina's got a really good team and they've played really well in this series. I give them a shot in this game. But ultimately, Washington being at home and the fact that they've got a little more experience, I think they've got a little more killer instinct. I think that Washington gets it done. But you guys will probably say, look at that and, and then put your money on Carolina now. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll do the fade uh, Pete Blackburn uh, philosophy uh, when we're taking our money out there. All right. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate it, man. Enjoy the game. Bet. All right. We'll see you. Yep. Uh, so we do all kinds of tops. Love it. We're getting into hockey. Yeah. I'm like, I don't watch any hockey. But I actually like hearing about it. I might, watch, I like, a game. I might yeah. watch a game. There's game, game sevens when they start yeah. laying down to block the pucks, like is there, putting their body on is, the line. Is there a game tonight? Yeah, that one. Yeah, I'll watch, talk I'll watch, yeah, I'll watch, watch that one. Um, the is NCAA. There a game tonight? Did we just talk? Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, we've had this. Wait, hold on. You yeah. know what I find interesting? What? I, what, I do. what do you got? Uh, to the, I'm relatively new to this, right? Yeah. So what will happen from time to time is you'll be talking. Yep. And I'll go to read the rundown. And I've always told people I don't multitask well, right? Yep. So I will be reading, all right, what's coming up next, what's coming up next, and completely miss. So I had no <laughs> idea. I had no something. idea that there was a game set. Right. All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell. So we got a couple interesting stories that have unfolded over the last 24 hours, just mm-hmm. dealing with college athletics. We kind of have the, the college basketball FBI investigation that's taken place over the last couple years. Seemed like it's taken forever. It was supposed to change the landscape of college basketball. You know, we saw Will Wade have to step down at LSU for a while, then he's back reinstated. Well, now you have an FBI witness who has brought in some college football players into the mix. Uh, Martin Blazer yep. testified on Tuesday that he paid football players from Pittsburgh, Penn State, Michigan, Notre Dame, Northwestern, Alabama, and North Carolina to be a part of his – he's a financial advisor, so he's trying to buy their business down the road. So I'm looking at it. I'm like, all right, sounds a little bit you know, suspect. What's going on? Then you look at it, and the cash payments that he was offering varied – Anywhere from $100 to $3,000 per month, normally with direct cash payments. $100 a month? Yes. I'm talking about so I'm like, what are we doing here? Like, what? This has been my thing all along. Don't change the whole system to, you know, to make sure the payers are played, to make them employees, that all of a sudden they can just... Don't blow up the whole system. Just look the other way oh. on the stuff that's inconsequential uh, if, and it doesn't even matter. If I'm the FBI and Martin Blazer's company, right. you're talking about $100 payments a month. Bro, beat it. Yes. Kick rocks. Go somewhere with that, man. Ain't nobody trying to ho- upset the whole Apple cart over $100 a month. And you know how this happened. So the timeline. So Aaron uh, Maben, Penn State linebacker, who was drafted uh, that year, I think it was 2009, was drafted by the Buffalo Bills with the 11th pick in the 2009 NFL draft. 
So Blazer said the prospect's father did not pay him back the $10,000 after he turned pro. Just pay off your debts and then it'll all go away. That's probably why this is all coming to light. Yeah. Because he didn't pay off the 10 grand. So that's the trick that these agents will put on agents, financial advisors, you're finding out more different people. They'll give you essentially a loan. Yeah, they're fronting you. Yeah, they're fronting you the money and most of the time they'll say you got to pay it back once you get paid. So most guys are like, yeah, I want cash up front. Sometimes they pay it back. Sometimes they don't. Unfortunately, sometimes there might be interest on a payment. It's a high interest type loan where they're going to get scalped and they got like they don't even have any idea of what's happening. Well, they have to pay them back, and they're like, "Wait a second. And there's some really shady characters in all in, in all of these businesses that take advantage of eighteen to twenty two year olds. That's my biggest problem where, all right, if we are going to make it come to light, if we are going to prosecute, go after the people that were bribing them, not the players. Correct. Or even the schools. Go after the snakes that are out there trying to trying to pay take advantage. People. Right. Um, and you got to be a real moron to sign something when it's illegal to take a benefit to sign something locking yourself into a to a repayment plan of said money with an interest rate. Right. I mean, you you're that those things are usually. Under the table, handshake type of deals. It's just, hey, I, as a financial dude, I'm taking a swing at this. Right. If you then strike out, that's on you, homie. Don't be upset. Those are the waters that you choose to swim in. Exactly. You're out there with sharks. Sometimes, you know, things happen. Um, so I don't, I really, for a lot of reasons, don't love, um, this story or the guy, Blazer, even being given any type of platform by the FBI to be upsetting what's happening in college football. And I've said before, and I'm going to say it again, if you're a fan of any major program and you do not think that someone on that team has been given some kind of impermissible benefit, you're crazy. It happens everywhere. And it it happens all across the Except landscape of college. Except Florida State <laughs> no, no, and FIU. You know what would happen? And this was this was sometimes it may have been legal, may not have been legal, depending really on the timeline of it. Usually around December, that would be illegal because it was before the bowl game. You'd see some of the guys that were going to get drafted, and they'd be rolling up in new rides, like new whips. Illegal. They got like it would be awesome. And a lot of times, it was their agent fronted them the money. They knew they were going to be a top, you know, first second round pick. Gave them the money up front, let them buy the car, and then once they got paid, they'd pay them back. Then it's can, all part of the business that what goes on. But I did not say that every kid is getting paid. I want to be clear. Oh, a lot of kids, but in every single one of these programs. Correct. One of your five stars that has chosen to come from wherever, Moose, Moose but Alaska, <laughs> to play in Oklahoma. It's happening. So here's the thing: I will defend coaches. How are they supposed to know if this guy's going and he's oh. paying a girlfriend, he's paying a mom, yeah. he's slipping him a thousand bucks a month? Coaches, because that's the thing that drives me nuts, and especially if you're always, it's a rival school. Like mm-hmm. if you were saying at my, like, hey, Florida State's doing it, I'm like, no, they're doing it. And you know, they, that, um, you know, Willie Taggart should be, just, you know, the, the program should be put on probation. It's almost impossible for coaches to know sure. every extent of what is happening in this situation. So it's going to be interesting to see Plausible deniability is great. Absolutely it is. And I, I, but I genuinely think a lot of coaches, I'm cool a lot of them that. say I don't want to know, of but course. a lot of them, even if they try to run a clean program, it's almost impossible yep. to do it. Uh, the NCAA, I don't think they're as evil as a lot of people make them out to be. But man, do they make some dumb decisions sometimes. This is just the latest example you of ever, one. You ever seen Life, the movie? We've had. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. With Martin Lawrence? Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, what's his name? Boheem Woodbine. What's his name? Uh, Boheem Woodbine or something like that. Yep. He played a character called. And Eddie Murphy's in there too, right? Eddie Murphy, Martin Lawrence. Yeah, a lot of people. Uh, he played a character they'll call Can't Get Right. Yeah. 
where that's he the just, NCAA. Just can't get right, boss. Yep. Yeah. We had a couple of <laughs> on our teams. They would call that. Was just became their nickname. <laughs> can't, can't get, get right. right. You don't want to be that guy. Well, the NCAA can't get right either because. There's a kid named Brock Hoffman, plays football at Coastal Carolina, wanted to transfer to Virginia Tech to be closer to his mom, who had a brain tumor removed. Uh, what was that, Coca? He did transfer. So he's trying to get his transfer clear, uh, cleared so he wouldn't have to sit out a year, which almost the clip at which they're approving these is higher than it's ever been. Uh, but he gets denied the ability to play right away in Blacksburg, where he's gone uh, to, to play football. So the reason that the NCAA gave was they said his mom was quote starting to be uh, was tr- was feeling better and she was recovering and so oh. that you shouldn't have you know it wasn't as you much shouldn't worry emergency. anymore yeah, yeah exactly you're fine exactly like yeah it's just a brain tumor like she's don't good. worry about it she's got and we've got our posted, best medical team on it don't Mark worry and posted pictures of his mom on the post and she's got staples in her head like it's really graphic and you're like wait a second what are they doing. It's, it's it's impossible to defend from the NCAA's perspective, and when you're letting guys transfer just because their coach left, and I think that is, a, yeah, I think it should be allowed. Yeah. But how about a sense of awareness of humanity and just saying, yeah, you know what, the kid wants to be closer to his mom, and I get there. So there's a radius of where this rule applies to technically, mm-hmm. and it's within a hundred miles of the school that you're transferring to. Right. And I guess she lives like just like five miles outside of that radius, and so they're using uh, that technicality oh. to say, well, you know, she not only is she feeling better, but technically it's not right there. It's that's not within e- the that's radius. That's an easy one. Just rent a home inside the radius. Yeah, but even that, like, that's a cost for the family. Easy. Like, how about just use common sense and let the kid play? On a hundred dollar apartment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just run a, run a house inside the radius. We're good. You know, here's, here's where, uh, I think this one is interesting. You don't really have a problem when a guy's going from Ohio State to Oklahoma. You know, you're, you're, you're on the same level. Right. You're talking about leaving East Carolina. Right. Non-power you, five to go to an ACC school. You then start to worry about, you know, whether those power fives are in there trying to pull the kids. And I'm not, which they I, are. They definitely they, they do. are. And so as the NCAA, just to be fair to them, when you start seeing those, the ascent, the ascensions from, from a program with no real national, uh, 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 yeah. uh, profile to one with a national profile, you know, that puts your antennas up probably if you're the NCAA. That's not like a lateral move. Like that's an upward move. Yep. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And they don't want that type of situation to happen, but this is one where I wonder if they're reverse course because I really think they should. They should. They should. They look should. at this, use some common sense. Yeah. All right. It's Wednesday. It's time for our shoe showdown. Boom. Uh, first. Who won last week, by the way? You know, I think it was closer than we thought. Some people I was surprised didn't like my Carolina off-whites. I'll uh, say I won. I'll you. I won, so I'm going you first. Said you. I'm going first. I won. I ain't asking all what you said. It. All right. We went different. So we said no, Boom. no Jordans today. These are as old school as I old like school gets. These are originals. Pony. Shout out to my man Dan Marino, who was one of the pony featured athletes I on there. I actually really like those. The only problem is they're so genuine. Like, they're so old school. Like, the tongue is starting no, that's to That's perfect. This color. That's, these are pretty dope, right? Yeah, those are dope. Those yeah, are so dope. Like, um, what do you got? I got some Hirachis. Just some... Okay. uh Hirachis with a little pebble tech on them. I don't, I, like I don't know exactly what they're nice. called. Um, I'm a big Hirachi fan, just comfortable. I got bad feet, so they're always pretty comfortable. Right? Yeah. All right. I, so I no real story behind it. I mean, these were, I can say they were game worn. These were worn by Dan Marino in a commercial shoot for Isotoner gloves. That's such a lie. Could be. I don't know. I mean, they might have been. I got them on eBay. That's what they told me on there. Tell us what you think. Who won me? On Canel and Bell's Twitter account, at Canel and Bell. We'll post the video later. All right. We'll see you tomorrow live in Nashville. Come say hi. Doghouse Saloon tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern.